Hi everyone, this is Jessica Chen and you are listening to the Communicating Confidently podcast. Each episode is meant to teach and inspire you to find new ways to level up your speaking skills. Because here's the truth, it's possible and I'm so thrilled you're here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the follow button and share this episode with your friends and family. Now let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Communicating Confidently podcast. Today, I will be chatting with Lori Rudiman, and she is the person you want to talk to anytime you have a question on, hey, how do I control my own career path? We're going to be sharing so many tips and tricks, including how to tackle problems with creativity and innovation. How can you become your own best advocate? And if you have interest in the workplace, you know, you see projects that you want to get on because you know it's going to be a real good resume builder. How can you champion your interests? That has a lot to do with your approach and your communications, which of course we're going to be chatting about. Lori is a fellow LinkedIn learning instructor, just like myself. Her course, How to Be the Manager That People Won't Leave, well, her course has over a million views. So I highly recommend you checking out her course at the end of this episode. But let's get into it. How can you control your own career? Hi, Lori. <laughs> hey, Jessica. How you doing? Hi, everybody. Um, it's nice to see people from Rhode Island and Spain. What a diverse... <laughs> A diverse group of people. I love it. I love it. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, Lori. So I know I did a quick intro of who you are, but I'm sure people would love to hear about you, your background, and the work that you do today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Hello, everybody. I'm Lori Rudiman. I'm a writer, a speaker, and um, I, you know, I normally do this long intro about my job, but it's boring, right? I just I, I do things in the world where I'm a bridge between employees and employers, and I try to fix work. But I think the most important thing that I do is try to model good behavior. So I like to talk about what I like to do and what I enjoy doing when I'm not working. And so I'm an animal rescue advocate. I volunteer quite a bit. I love art. I love music. And I love doing everything I can to eventually one day retire at the beach. So Jessica, that's what I'm all about. <laughs> I love that. Because, you know, like for me, I'm like, oh, this is what I do. This is what I do. But Laura, you're like, you know, my life is way more than work. And I think that's kind of like what I want to talk about today. Because I know, you know, a lot of us here on LinkedIn, we do care about our work and of course, mm -hmm. finding a career that is very fulfilling. But I think, you know, it's probably a good idea to also talk about work-life balance in a sense, where we are also making sure that we're spending our off time at work doing things that we love. So Lori, um, you know, what's your philosophy when it comes to work? Do you live to work, not live to work? Like, you know, there's all those sayings, but how do you kind of lead your life essentially? Yeah. You know, I like starting with the conversation about work-life balance because I want to pick that apart just a little bit. I like work-life balance, but I think the order is wrong. And I think the most important word in that phrase is life. In order to be good at anything in this world, whether it's work or life, we need balance. And the thinking is, well, we've got to figure out a way to do our jobs and make sure our life fits in there. But I think we need to live these big, bold, interesting lives and then have jobs that support that, where we can be of service, we can solve problems, we can do great things, work collaboratively, use our brain, 
because that's important for longevity, for happiness, for just the sake of continuity in, in the world. But then we should take the money, the energy, the intelligence that we gain from working and bring it into our personal lives. And, you know, if we live these big, bold, interesting personal lives, we can then take that good stuff and bring it to work and create this really interesting ecosystem. But a lot of people start with work first. They talk about how work is broken, work is toxic. But Jess, I have this fundamental belief that we fix work sorry, my allergies, we fix work by fixing ourselves first. And so whatever is going on in the world is not the fault of our bosses, not the fault of a toxic work environment. All of that exists, but we fix work by fixing ourselves first. And from there, I've built a whole framework, a whole methodology, and a whole life around that. Why is it that you think people kind of get it backwards then? And, and you know, I sometimes can be guilty of that too. Like, I mean, fortunately, I, I love the work I do, you know, you know, with Soulcast Media, I love working with people on communications. I really see the difference when people, you know, work with us, their confidence really increases. So for me, I'm like always like, oh, work, work, work. But, you know, personally speaking, you know, I became a mom recently. So I feel like my priorities have also shifted as well. But why is it that you think that people always go in with this like work success mentality all the time? Well, work is easier than real life. Mm -hmm. Even when work is hard, even when work is terrible, it's still often easier than navigating the complexities of our real lives. You know, in our real lives, there is no HR department. In our real lives, there is no way we can just walk away from relationships, not easily, like we can quit a job. In our real lives, there are consequences that affect us for decades if we get it right and if we get it wrong. And so while work is serious and important, work is also easier than our personal lives. And so I think people over-index on work because personal lives are just so complicated and so sticky right now especially in this weird world that we live in where our best friends may disagree with us politically and we don't know what to do with it. Or, you know, we have a crazy family member who thinks one thing and we love them, we care about them, and they're irrational. Or our kids have addiction issues or our children are depressed, right? These are all very serious issues. So going to work becomes a distraction. And it also is a way for us to get really good feedback because we can be productive and we can solve other people's problems like you do, Jessica, you know, you don't get instant feedback, maybe from your son, but you get instant feedback from a client. <laughs> so, you know, I just think it's easier to focus on work than it is to focus on our personal lives. So I know for those who are joining, we kind of just like dove straight into the meat of this conversation about like work life happiness and balance. Um, but it does tie in really perfectly to the topic of today, which is like this idea of controlling your own career. And for those who are actually joining for the very first time, I wanted to say a quick welcome. I'm here with my friend Lori, and we are talking about your career, how to control it and making sure that it's serving you as well, right? It's not, you know, you are working your tail off for your career, but that your career is also helping you live the life that you want. And I think, you know, for those who are joining, maybe this wasn't the conversation that you thought we were going to be talking about, but I think it is an important um, angle to work that I think we often may not think about, which is why today's topic is really relevant. So, okay, Lori, I just have to ask, even though it's about making sure that your, your life is happy and just making sure that you have like, quote unquote, that balance, but sometimes people just get knee deep into work. They sure. have deadlines. They have 
bosses who are just like, like, yeah. I need that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like hard for them to separate that time of personal life and not right. And just making sure that you're happy. So for those who just aren't necessarily happy with their career right now, or the way things are going, what would you suggest? Well, you know, I think a little bit of perspective is always important. There is no perfect life, no perfect job. And sometimes things are difficult and challenging. And it may be the season of life. It could be your age. It could be the fact that you've worked yourself into just a, a hole of work that you got to get out of, right? You know, but having some perspective that even the heaviest, darkest storms run out of rain is really important and something that I thought of in my own career. There were these moments where I needed health insurance or I needed to pay off my student loans or I just wanted to pay my mortgage and save up for things in the world. And I had to make choices. I had to get up early. I had to stay late. I had to do extra work. I had to prove myself in order to get to a position later in life where I could be an independent woman and live my life differently, right? I mean, there are sacrifices that we make, mm -hmm. but I think in order to be happy, we should make those sacrifices and know it, but really have our eyes on the prize. And so anything worth doing is worth doing well. So if people out there aren't thinking about life goals and not in a hippie way, but like, what do you want to do with your life? Where are you going? If you're not setting intentions, what is even the point? Mm -hmm. The point is not to just survive in this world. Mm -hmm. The point is to thrive. So I'm not asking anybody to manifest. I don't even care if you meditate or, you know, you do yoga. None of that matters to me, but to know who you are, what you stand for, and what you would like to accomplish in the next 30 days, 60 days, even go as far out as five years. If that's scary, try it and figure out what, it, what do I want to do and what do I need to do so that I can get there. That is so incredibly important. And for whatever reason in this world, we think that only corporations plan. We think only CEOs make these plans or that gurus make these plans. But you and I, as ordinary people, can make a plan and work the plan. In fact, it's better to have a plan because when you deviate, at least you know what you're deviating from instead of feeling like a victim. It actually reminds me. So before I started my own company, Soulcast Media, I was a TV news reporter. So I was in that industry for about 10 years. And it was a profession that I was so excited about. Like it was something that I knew I wanted to be when I was really young. I was like, I want to be a television journalist. Mm -hmm. So pretty much from the time I graduated college and for the next 10 years, I was like knee deep in this industry. I moved around all these different cities, kind of worked my way up. Uh, eventually, my last stop was at the ABC station in San Diego. And it's actually where I won my Emmy Award, which was the best thing ever. But the reason why I ended up leaving the journalism industry, even though it was really a difficult decision to make, was because I realized that the lifestyle for a journalist, it just wasn't it didn't fit with the life that I wanted to live. And, you know, at the time, I remember thinking, I had this like crisis, honestly, like, you know, I thought that this was me, I thought I was a TV broadcast journalist, and suddenly, this isn't what I want. And it's like, my identity, right? Because I think yeah. a lot of us associate our identity with our careers. And, and for me, I did that. And I realize now that that's not a really good thing to do. You, you know, you are not just the marketing person, you know, you're not just the, the, you know, the engineer or, you know, whoever, you're much more than that. But for me, I actually fell into that trap of like, I'm Jessica, I'm a journalist. I'm Jessica, I'm a journalist, right? But, you know, after 10 years, I realized, wait a second, I'm much more than this. And this lifestyle of being a journalist 
wasn't for me. I, I have tons of friends who are still in the industry. They love it and they're doing amazing. But in the end, I had to pivot because I realized it wasn't fitting the life I wanted to live. Sure. Well, Jessica, that makes a lot of sense. And I have another fundamental belief besides you fix work by fixing yourself first. And that is your work is not your worth. You deserve love, attention, affection, relationships, and education, all the good stuff in this world, just because you were born. Now we don't have systems in place to reward that, even though we have the wealth for all of that. But we can start to feel that way about ourselves, that we deserve you know, to be continuous learners, to thrive, to have great relationships, no matter if we're in customer service or we're mothers or we're caregivers or we're just ordinary Joes who don't know what we want to be when we grow up, right? A lot of us are still figuring that out. Yes. You deserve all the good stuff in the world. And the problem is when you over-index on your identity and work lets you down, which it will always let you down because it's a transaction. It's not truly an identity. When work lets you down, you're left with this hole in your heart. You don't deserve to have that hole in your heart. You can do work. You can do it with integrity, but you can know that you are a person first before you are a job title. And when I started to make that switch for me, it also came after like this career breakdown at an airport. Um, it kind of made sense to me like, oh yeah, okay, I'm Lori first. I'm not a human resources director. And from there, I had to ask myself some tough questions like, what does it mean to be Lori? Yeah. What do I like? What do I enjoy? I'd been working so hard for so long that I had no hobbies. I was out of shape. I was so tired. At the age of 29, I sneezed at an airport and threw out my back. Like that's what it meant to be Lori Rudiman at 29. And I thought, I cannot do another day like this. There is no way. But the journey to figuring out where I was and where I wanted to be was intense. And I didn't quit my job because I had bills to pay and things to do in this world. But I slowly peeled myself back from work. Instead of giving 110%, I gave 80%. Nobody notices the difference. You know, only you notice that. I did my work with integrity. And then I went to therapy. And I got some hobbies and I started volunteering and trying to figure out what I like and what I don't like. And it turns out I like fostering cats and dogs. And to this day, I still do that. But I had no idea until someone said, you know what you need in your life? You need kittens and puppies. I'm like, hell yeah, I do. So (laughs) what I'm saying is this is a journey of a lifetime, but you have to start to decouple your identity from work because you deserve kittens and puppies. You know, this is something that I'm just so happy we're talking about. I think a lot of us get into this mode of like, yeah, you graduate university, you start working, you work, 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 or you go to school, 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 school. And then suddenly, yeah, you are invested X number of years into your career. And it's kind of like when people say they go through this like quarter life crisis. I mean, I think the reason why is because sometimes we put our heads down so far down that we look up and we're like, where the heck are we? (laughs) Like, where am I? Right. Well, I would love to, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I would love to hear from people in the comments about their work-related crises, because I think this is just such a common thing. I bet everybody who's watching us today has had a moment at work where they're like, OMG, what am I doing? Why am I here? What is this all about? And I'm passionate about project management. I'm passionate about finance. I'm good at it, but they're not using my skills here. And I would just love to read some of those stories or contact me later on LinkedIn, because that's the kind of stuff that really makes me think there's there's a movement out there to talk about a life first way 
of working instead of a work-first way of approaching work-life balance. It reminds me of a conversation I had recently with actually, it was a, it was with a physician and brilliant, bright, very successful in his career. But in his mind, he was like, that's all I am. Like, I'm just like a doctor. Yeah. And it actually kind of made me a bit sad because I was like, no, you know, you, you have the opportunity to do a lot more. And then I started asking like, what is it that you want to do? But his answer was just, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Right. And I think like, this is kind of like a good reminder for a lot of us out there that it does, t it, you know, if you are stepping out and trying to find what else your life is other than work it may take some time like for example this physician i was talking about he he's still kind of like stuck in that mode of like not knowing what else his life is other than being a doctor and, and treating people but i think it kind of starts from there like asking the right questions and you know encouraging the other person to kind of see beyond your title of you're just a physician right you can be so much more than that so much more. And I have a hack for this that I write about in Betting on You. You know, I went through this myself, like, what do I want to do? I don't know. All I do is work. And so someone had suggested to me putting just a bunch of random tasks and adventures in a hat and just pieces of paper, stick it in a hat. And every once in a while, when I have a little bit of time or when the mood strikes, pull something out of the hat. And if I'm in the mood to do it, I do it. And if not, throw it away. So I would pull things out like, you know, clean out my garage or, you know, go through my old yearbooks, which I ended up throwing away. But also I wanted to take swim lessons to get to be a stronger swimmer. I'm like, you know, I pulled that out. I'm like, I'm going to do that. I pulled things out like, you know, speaking of which, go to the San Diego Zoo. I'd always wanted to do that, right? So mm -hmm. I went to the San Diego Zoo. You know, we went and took a little trip. I mean, there are things that you can do or you can say no to, but you can start to get creative in that hat, in that bag and see if you're, you know, you're in the mood. And if not, don't do it, but go out there, scour for ideas and see if you can spark some joy in your own life. I'm seeing a lot of the comments now coming in and I really appreciate, like, I see you, Jenny. Um, I burned out and all I kept thinking was, why am I not happy if I did everything I was supposed to? I think mm -hmm. a lot of us fall into this, like, yeah, you know, to get to this level, you got to do this. So you do that and you get there and you're like, wait a second, this is not yeah. what I thought it was. These companies are lying to you. I mean, they are family, right? They are a community. They, they have a culture, but they're also there to put themselves first. These right. companies always put themselves first. And I, it's like my life's mission to remind everybody that you deserve to put yourself first. You deserve to run your life like an organization. And there's actually a concept that I write about extensively called professional detachment. They teach it at the FBI, at the CIA, where you go to work and you do your job and you do it well and you do it with in integrity, but you treat your coworkers, your boss, and your organization like they are your very favorite client. So how would you act if someone is your client? Well, you wouldn't cuss them out. You wouldn't take things personally, right? You would take a pause, take a breath. You may also take more PTO because ultimately they're just a client. And when I started to incorporate that into my life, it got a little bit better. And I realized there's, you know, I could give my heart and my soul and it's still a client as opposed to a family. Take that PTO, please. Like, <laughs> for those who are watching, you got PTO, please take it. Oh, my word. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So I know you have the book Betting on You, and I'd love to dive a little bit more on this book. And what are some of the principles that you share in this book? I'm sure the audience will love to know. What does it mean to bet on you? How do you bet on yourself? Yeah. 
Well, you know, I learned lessons the hard way. So in the book, I try not to write a traditional self-help or business book. So there are no weird case studies, no homework, no two by two quadrants, no bullet points, just stories from myself and people I know in this world, anonymized to, you know, retain everybody's dignity here. But, you know, there are really four pillars in the book that are super important. The first, in order to bet on yourself, you have to embody this idea of self-leadership. That's the art and science of individual accountability. You know, it's overstated, but there's no cavalry coming. No one's going to take the last seven minutes of a staff meeting to ask how you're doing and to help you figure out how you get something off your credit report, right? You know, like none, none of that is going to happen. You've got to do that important stuff for yourself. And until you do it, it's never going to get done. So really accepting this notion of self-leadership, the individual accountability that you need to do anything great in this world. The second thing is focusing on your own well-being. You know, if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're only eating what's on your toddler's plate for dinner, if you're going back to work and doing a long commute like it's 2019, even though you have back problems, only you can make different decisions. Maybe you can't make those decisions today, but you can work towards better well-being decisions. The third is to focus on continuous learning. Because again, if you're not learning, you're not growing. If you're not growing, you're not thriving. And what the hell's the point of life if you're not thriving? Totally. And then finally, I teach people how to take better risks with a methodology in the book that um, is called the pre-mortem. And it's all about figuring out how you're going to fail before you fail so you can stop yourself from failing. That's it. Four pillars, self-leadership, well-being, continuous learning, and better risk-taking. And that's how you bet on yourself. And that's the thing. I think you can't rely on anybody else to help build the life you want to live. You have to kind of look within yourself and find the things that make you happy. So I want to get into some of the things that I wanted to talk about in today's talk, which is, you know, for people who are listening, they're okay. They're like, okay, I got it. I want to, you know, take action. I want to start, you know, feeling more in control and doing things that make me happy, not because it's work, it's a transaction, you know, a means to an end kind of thing. But what if they kind of feel stuck in like finding those creative outlets? They can't find ways to figure out how to make themselves happy. How do you tackle those problems? Yeah, you know, we're uh, on a communication, you know, cast today. We're all communicators. And one of the reasons why I think people can't figure out who they are and what they want to do in this world is because they can't communicate effectively with themselves and other people. There's no boundaries anymore, even at work, right? You know, somebody shows up five minutes late for a meeting and it throws off your whole morning and you don't have any time left at the end of the day to figure out, okay, what do I need to do tomorrow so that I can have a great weekend and take time off, right? Everything just gets compressed. And so I have people practice in small moments to then nail it in the big moments. So what does that mean? That means if someone is making you miserable at work, peer to peer, you try to solve that by getting to a healthy compromise or productive solution because that's practice for then solving these bigger existential problems. So just think about your own life. Like maybe you're really unhappy with your job or you're thinking about a divorce. We're not going to fix that today, but let's practice. Is there somebody at work who's always late for a Zoom call? Heck yeah. Do they get under your skin? Heck yeah. Do you feel like it's offensive? Heck yeah. Well, how do we practice communicating in those small moments to let them know those days are over. So Jessica, I think clearly restating boundaries, like the meeting begins at 1 p.m. 
We don't wait. We start right at one. We're Mm -hmm. respectful of people's calendars and we don't run late because we know people have other meetings to attend. So you start to restate your boundaries in a very non-threatening way, or even in a direct way that may seem threatening in the moment, peer to peer, gets your central nervous system comfortable with having these bigger, more important discussions. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, you said the word communications and in my heart, I'm like, yep, that is absolutely right. And, you know, when I work with folks, a lot of it is actually building that communications confidence, right? You know, you can be clear minded of what is right and what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. But once you even know that, how are you able to express it to the people who you are dealing with, right? Right. Um, Actually, in one of my courses, Communicating with Confidence, I actually talk about, you know, making sure that whoever you're speaking with, you're tailoring your message to that audience as well. You know, when you speak to somebody who is your manager versus you speak to somebody who's kind of on your level versus you speak to people who's more junior than you, you kind of have to mold your message a little differently. Your message can be the same, but you kind of have to always think about tailoring your message to what will resonate with people. Um, It's actually in my communications with confidence course. For those who are interested, it's on our website. Uh, I'm actually going to link it here as well in just a little bit. But it's communications and feeling like you can advocate for yourself, which actually goes into my second point that I did want to talk about today, Lori, advocating for yourself, which I imagine is also the same thing as like similar, at least I should say, as betting on yourself, right? Yeah. Trusting yourself. So any tips on how people can better advocate for themselves when they're at work, when they're dealing with something that they're not particularly pleased about? Yeah. Well, again, I believe in practicing in the small moments so that you can nail it when the stakes are high, right? A lot of times we let things go at work and they start to grate and they start to irritate us. And then we feel like we're being victimized. And then we got to go to our managers and then we've got to go to HR instead of standing up for ourselves in these small moments. And, And to your point around molding a message, I absolutely support that. But one of the things that we forget is the old Brene Brown saying, clear is kind. So being clear about boundaries, being clear around expectations. A lot of people back in the day when I worked in human resources were like, well, of course I'm late because I'm busy. I'm like, oh, you're the only one who's busy here, right? That's not helpful. So I stopped saying stuff like that. But, you know, a question back is, is there anybody at this meeting who isn't busy and being silent? is really powerful, right? So there are ways that you can be mature and nip things in the bud early so that you don't have to get an advocate from human resources, from your management team later on. So Jessica, you're the expert on this, but I am always amazed when people would come and say to me like, oh, I missed the bus this morning because of this and that. I'm like, you're the only person who had childcare issues this morning. You know, you're the only person who didn't get their alarm on time, right? You know, like it just, it was amazing to me. So You can see I'm still a little angry HR lady there, but I I feel as if we can nail things in the small moments so that we don't cause problems for others or need an advocate for ourselves down the road. Advocating for yourself is something that I think a lot of us need to be a little bit more proactive about, actually. And, you know, I think sometimes we kind of just let work, like I said, dictate the life, our daily day-to-day life. But I think advocating for yourself is kind of like what you said earlier. It's also creating boundaries, right? You know, if you keep saying yes, sometimes people are going to think, wow, Jessica's always available, right? But the reality is you have stacks and stacks of things to do, right? So it's like, how can you communicate those boundaries so people understand and can respect that, hey, you know, Jessica has a lot of things to do. I know I probably can't ask her to do A, B, and C, but Jessica is very helpful because she's helped me with other things before, right. right? 
So advocating, being proactive. Mm -hmm. I also actually say engaging people in the process of things that you're working on is a form of advocating for yourself because it's showing that you're capable of doing something because you're kind of looping people into the process. And the beauty of looping people into the process, it's if something doesn't go right, they kind of already knew all along because actually one of the things with career success is nobody wants to be surprised unless it's a great surprise. Your boss <laughs> oh, will want to suddenly, yeah. And if you don't miss, if you miss a deadline and your boss like didn't know that this was something that might have happened and you miss it, they're probably not going to be very happy. So I also say advocating for yourself is making sure there's no surprises unless it's a fantastic surprise. Well, I'm I'm so impressed that, you know, you have such fluency around advocation. I really have often felt in this world, like if we're doing our lives right and we're making good choices and we're making better career choices and we're picking jobs that are more aligned with our values, we don't need to be advocates for ourselves because the work environment is easier. If we're clear around boundaries and we work with people who are professionally detached and they also understand that this is a job first and foremost, we are paid to solve problems. We're not paid to have emotional connections with one another at work, right? This is not a family. You don't need to advocate for yourself because everybody's showing up and they're headed towards the same professional goals. And so it's really my goal in this world to kind of tamp down the drama at work attempt on all of that and get our jobs done in a way that demonstrates integrity, that solves interesting and important problems, but gives us the freedom to get back to the relationships that matter. So for me, in my dream world, we don't need to advocate. And and I, I really feel as if work is starting to get there through, again, I'm going to be a nerd here, through decentralized organizations, through more gig work, through asynchronous work where we're working, you know, at different hours, we can do our jobs and then get on with the business of living. That's the goal. For those who are commenting right now, Christine, yes, this is being recorded. So this is something that you will be able to share with your colleagues and your friends. Thank you so much for sharing that. And um, I just want to say we have over 85 people who are live with us right now, Lori. And I'm just, I mean, I'm sure I'll speak for the both of us. We're both so grateful that you have taken the time to chat and listen to our conversation. And I mentioned earlier, this is so much a conversation with me and Lori, but it's also a conversation with you all. So if you have any questions, please throw it into the chat function. Lori and I will be happy to take any questions in regards to your career, happiness, finding things that you feel fulfilled in. Because even though this topic is about how to control your own career, career does play a big part in our life and making sure that we are living the life that we want, right? I think that's something that should be synonymous with career satisfaction, right? It's what life do you want? Right? Very, very well said. And I think that is a great place to start with whatever, what, w- with the day, with the week, with the year, what do we want in this world? What are we aiming for? What's the goal of the day, the week, the month? So for me, when I wake up every morning, I set my intentions. I try to figure out what do I need to accomplish for the day? And I actually set myself up really well the night before, because just like a CEO would get, you know, an agenda for the upcoming day from an administrative assistant, I'm my own administrative assistant. And before going to bed, I really under, even though I pay someone to do this, I really understand what's on my agenda for the next day. How do I need to prepare? I think through when I'm going to eat, when I'm going to exercise, all of this is on my calendar so that I'm really in control and not letting my job run me to the ground. I mean, there's that old saying, you either run the day or it runs you, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to run my day, my week, my month, knowing the things I want to accomplish in this world. 
And you know, just when I do that, I'm happier and I'm easier to get along with and I'm less of a burden to the people around me. So there's also that obligation, living life well with integrity, with intention makes us better colleagues. It makes us better partners. It makes us, you know, makes us helpful to other people around us. And and frankly, I think it probably makes me a better wife. I have to say that. (laughs) People want to be around people who are happy. Like that's just plain and simple. And if you're coming home every day, you're just like, oh, what work sucks. And then, you know, you bring that energy back home to your wife, to your husband, to your kids, and people can see that down drained energy. Like, and you've been, let's say working for like the last eight, nine hours. Right. And they're excited to see you. And suddenly you're coming in all, uh, uh, even if you're working from home, right. You go out and you're in the kitchen with the family and you're just like, Oh, work sucks. Like that doesn't bring that happy energy that should be in a home. Right. Right. And Um, also how does your partner problem solve with you then? If all you do is complain, there's a real hard framework that you have to move from when you're complaining and you're complicit in your own suffering, as my friend Minda Hart says, getting from that framework to the framework of problem solving is a big cognitive jump. And so what I recommend to people all the time, and I know this works because I've done it myself, is talk to your employee assistance program. They give career advice all the time. If you're lucky enough to work for a corporation that has an EAP, you normally get three free sessions. Go to them. Talk about your career problems. They will be able to strategize with you. Maybe you need additional therapy. Maybe you don't. But that's a really good place to go. Clergy, if you're a person of faith, is another great place to go. Also, just volunteering and being around other professional people is fascinating because many of them have terrible jobs that they've learned to compartmentalize, and then they go and they volunteer with children or animals or in the community, and it gives them a sense uh, of a place to burn off some steam. So there are ways to cope with this so that you're not bringing all of that negative energy home, which again, um, I know somebody asked for the name of my book. It's called Betting on You, available everywhere books are sold. There are ideas in there that are hopefully helpful. But more importantly, um, I know times are tough, so you don't have to buy my book. You can just go to the library because librarians miss all of us. So yeah. <laughs> Good point. And I think the tips actually, Laura, you just shared helps answer one of the questions that I saw come in. It's like, how do you overcome midlife crisis? You know, I think one of the ways, it's not the only way, one, <laughs> one of the ways to help is like what you mentioned earlier is kind of you know, expanding your life outside than that other than work, right? Mm-hmm. You mentioned hobbies, going out. It's a way to like de-stress, see other things, meet other people that isn't just this sometimes can be that silo of work, yeah. right? You know, I am, um, so I'll just share with everybody, I'm 47 years old and I never thought I would be this age because I can remember my parents at this age and they were unhappy and they had a bunch of kids and a bunch of debt and the world was against them, right? And they worked very, very hard and they went through a midlife crisis, but they didn't even have the luxury of making poor decisions because they had kids to feed and things to do, right? So if you're lucky enough to have a midlife crisis, don't blow it. Like have a midlife crisis where you come out of it a better human being, where you learn something, where you grow, where you're a little happier. Because if you do it like my parents or so many people out there, you have a midlife crisis and suddenly that crisis extends into your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, and you're never happy and you're always complaining. Like go learn something from this inflection point. Again, that's what life is all about, to come out on the better side of it. Wait, are you saying having a midlife crisis can be a luxury? 
Yeah, for sure. It's a privilege. <laughs> One that I'm leaning into heavily right now. You know? <laughs> that's true. You know, if you are having this moment of like, wait a second, that's actually probably like, I'm not about like the universe, but it is in some way the universe telling you, wait a second, maybe it's not it's time to reevaluate. And you know, some people don't even get those, like you mentioned, some people don't even get those opportunities or even that realization that maybe this is a time to pause right. and then pivot. Right. I love, I love that. That's so well said. You know, it's all about reframing and reframing has been the thing that's been so important to me my whole life. You know, I'll just share like a quick anecdote during COVID this past October. Um, my very favorite cat in the world got sick and passed away and she was only 14, um, which seems old, but is not for a cat. And she was so sweet, so chunky, so cute. And I was just so sad about it, you know, and I didn't know how to be sad because there's a ton of suffering in the world. And I deal with it all day long when people come to me with their pain. And I was so sad about this cat that I had had since she was a kitten. And I talked to somebody about it and I said, COVID has just been a kick in the pants for everybody. He said, you know, you've been home every day for the past year and a half. You wouldn't have normally done that had there been no pandemic. And you lived every day for the past year and a half with this cat. You held her, you spent time with her. And had it not been COVID, you would have been off flying around doing your job, doing everything out there. And just that little reframing to remind myself that I spent every single day of my cat's life with her for the past 18 months was helpful. And I know that's like a stupid example, but reframing and really trying to understand the gift that's embedded in that little micro tragedy is so useful. I'm not saying there's a beautiful gift in pain and suffering everywhere, but if you can find it, try to find it because it's going to get you through tough times. Mm -hmm. So like I said, these 40 minutes, they just fly. Oh and <laughs> can you believe it? So um, as we are wrapping up here, which by the way, there's over 75 of you guys who stayed on the entire time. Again, we're so grateful. I do want to get to maybe like a few questions, Lori, if it's okay yeah. with you. So, lightning round. Yes, lightning round. So this one's from Brittany. Any advice for those of us transitioning from a college graduate to a new career? Any yes. Yes. Make sure you have some fun. It's real easy in the early days to double down on work and only hang out with people at work, which is cool. You got to get to know people, but try to make sure that you have some real friends, like some people who are not involved in office drama and go out with those real friends and talk about work, talk about life, talk about the old days, talk about high school, whatever it is you want to do, but just have some fun and have some friends outside of work. Another tip that I would share with that is, you know, the idea of like, you know, finding mentors, right? People who you admire. But the thing with mentors, I will say, is if you are finding someone, make sure you're looking up to somebody whose life where they look like they're having fun as well. Mm -hmm. Do they seem like they're like, are you only looking at them as a mentor because you like their title? Or are you looking at them because you're like, wow, this person just seems like a very happy person. They do their job well. They seem to have a good like work-life balance. Like that is the mentor that I want to emulate, not just because they are the VP of X role, right? Yeah, those they people are normally terrible anyway. No, wait, <laughs> didn't I say that out loud? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I think like when it comes to like looking for people who you want to admire, want to follow, don't just look at them because of their title. Look at them as a whole person, like from a well-rounded point of view. Do they seem happy? Are they helpful? Are they kind, right? You know, I think those are the people, and of course, successful in their own way. Like, I think you want to look at a person as a whole. And that's kind of like what I would want. If I was looking, if I was like a young college student, again, that's the kind of mentor I'd want to try to emulate. So nice. good. 
But Lori, as we kind of wrap up here, is there any tips, tricks that you want people to walk away with? I like to call them golden nuggets. Any golden nuggets that you want our audience to kind of walk away from when it comes to controlling your own career, you know, finding things that you love, anything people can take away with? Yes. You know, I think it's really important since we're all using this beautiful platform that is LinkedIn right now to make sure that you are spending the right amount of time on social media, but that it's not driving you to make some really terrible decisions in your life through comparison, through jealousy, through feeling inadequate by having imposter syndrome. So use these tools that we're on like, like LinkedIn in an efficient way and then get off and go enjoy your life. And if you get off and you find that you don't have much of a life, take an opportunity, get a bunch of ideas, put them in a hat and pick stuff out, but get on these platforms to further your life, not just because you think it's going to further your job and further your career, like use them appropriately and then get the heck off. That's what I would say. One final thought to add to that is like, you know, when it comes to not just like your profession, but even personal life, of course, I've always said communications and being clear minded and being able to express yourself clearly is one of the best ways for you to also feel happy as well. Because if you have kind of all these thoughts and everything is all mumbled jumbled and you can't express it, that's not going to help you lead that happy life that we've been talking about. So like I said, even though I kind of talk about communications or at least the work we do at Soulcast Media is more from like a professional standpoint, like how to talk to your boss, how do you, how do you get that project? How do you pitch that project? Which is covered in a lot of my communications courses. Communications is a universal. It's both personal and professional, right? Like how you talk about yourself, you know, how you talk to your family, that's all communications. And, um, and just, and Laura, I don't know if you know, but one of the reasons why I started Soulcast Media was because communications was something I wasn't fairly really comfortable with growing up. Like I was actually pretty shy, timid, and I had a lot of thoughts, but I was always very scared of expressing it to other people. But I took that approach that we talked about, you know, being proactive, you know, looking around, looking at other people who seemed happy. And they were always, I saw people who were happy were really good at expressing themselves, really good at asking for what they wanted. And they were able to get what they wanted. And for me, I had this light bulb moment where I was like, you know what? I need to be a more effective communicator. And once I learned the skill, it's a skill, meaning it can be learned. I feel like it opened up a lot of doors. And I also felt better about myself, right? Because I could suddenly communicate and tell people what I was thinking, what it is I want. So I love I it. I love it, Jessica. You're just living your values. That's amazing. <laughs> well, Lori, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, everybody who stayed on, all almost 80 of you, we are so grateful. Lori, how can people find you and stay connected with you? Sure. They could find me by Googling, I hate human resources. I'm not kidding. Or they can look me up on LinkedIn. I'm Lori Rudiman. Or more importantly, check out my podcast at Punk Rock HR. Oh, I love that. Punk rock HR. <laughs> All right, everyone. Hide the tattoos under the sweater. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But, but by the way, I love that you're wearing a sweater. You're like, hey. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Again, this is going to be recorded. Um, some really quick housekeeping tips. I wanted to let everybody know that at Soulcast Media, there's two things that are happening here that we're very excited about. We're actually going to be launching our one-on-one -on -one communications coaching service. So for those who have been wanting one-on-one -on -one communications coaching. We're launching it next week. So we have three public speaking coaches who are joining Soulcast Media. So if you wanted help with public speaking, interpersonal communications, virtual presentations, we have coaches who are going to be able to help you. That's launching next week. And we also have the Communicating 
with confidence course now at 50% off. I'm going to link it in our chat function. So for those who are interested in any of these services, be sure to click. But again, thank you, Lori, for being here with us. Thank you, everybody who stayed on. We are going to have another Soulcast Media Live in about two weeks. So if you want to stay up to date with that, go onto our website. The event's going to be posted on there, soulcastmedia.com. Thank you, everybody. And thank you so much, Lori. Bye, everybody. Nice to connect. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're inspired to begin improving your communications confidence, well, we'd love to help. Join our monthly communications membership where I teach a brand new communications workshop every single month. Or become a VIP member to access our best communications articles for life. Or maybe get one-on-one coaching with one of our board of communicators. We offer so many ways for you to learn and it's all housed on our website, soulcastmedia.com. Check it out and happy communicating. Thank you.